Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of April 15th, 2023, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. So, uh, did you happen to catch this one? It was reported this week that the Kiev City Council was set to name a street after a Nazi collaborator and officer of the SS. Certainly a very poorly timed move as Russia attempts to portray Ukraine as a Nazi state, apart from being an obvious barbarity in its own right. The figure in question is Volodymyr Kubiovich, a key figure in the formation of the SS Galizian Division, a unit of the Waffen-SS made up of Ukrainian volunteers, named for the Galicia region of Ukraine's far west, where pro-German and anti-Russian sentiment was the deepest. It seems that a commission of history experts appointed by the city council had put forward several options for the renaming of what is currently Perzavalsky Street in Kiev. Media accounts did not mention this, but I was able to determine that the street is named for Nikolai Perzavalsky, a Russian geographer and explorer, an inherently problematic and Eurocentric word, of course, of Siberia and Central Asia, whose work in the mid-19th century helped facilitate Russian imperial conquest and colonization of these territories. So, it was well worth changing the name of the street, but putting forth the name of Volodymyr Kubiovich was certainly a poor decision. We'll have more to say about that later. The names suggested by the commission were put forward by the city council for a public vote on a municipal smartphone app with the voting to remain open through April 16th. And by early this past week, Volodymyr Kubiovich was well ahead in the vote, allowing such headlines as that in the Jerusalem Post on April 11th, Kiev to name street for Ukrainian Nazi collaborator after public vote, quote unquote, even though by that point, the results were not yet official. And it seems that thanks to outcry, mostly from Israeli officials, the plan to rename the street for Kubiovich has in fact been abandoned. Kiev Mayor Vitaly Klitschko personally intervened in the matter following a complaint by the Israeli ambassador Michael Brodsky. I have not heard that President Vladimir Zelensky has spoken out on this affair, and he does, after all, arguably have more pressing matters before him. <clears throat> but here's an interesting story from April 2021, when a so-called embroidery march was held in Kiev, openly celebrating the Galizian division. Now, interestingly, the so-called embroidery marches apparently began as a display of Ukrainian ethnic pride, with people marching while wearing traditional Ukrainian peasant garb, and particularly 
regional costumes that had been banned in the Donbass region after the pro-Russian separatists seized power there in 2014. But then some ugly ultra-right nationalists got on board and decided to hold an embroidery march wearing the uniform and insignia of the Galizian division. And some 300 turned out for the one held in Kiev on April 28, 2021. President Zelensky, who is Jewish, condemned the march, saying, quote, We categorically condemn any manifestation of propaganda of totalitarian regimes, in particular the National Socialist, and attempt to revise the truth about World War II, end quote. Zelensky also, just this April 11th, this past Tuesday, made a statement for International Day of Liberation of the Nazi concentration camps, commemorating the day that Buchenwald concentration camp in Germany was liberated by Allied forces in 1945. Zelensky laid flowers at the Baba Yar Holocaust Memorial in Kiev, the site of a massacre of some 30,000 Jews in 1941 by the Nazis and collaborationist forces, a memorial which was bombed by the Russians last year early in the war. Whether intentionally or as collateral damage, the Baba Yar Memorial came under Russian bombardment on March 1st of last year and suffered damage. And this time, Zelensky's comments specifically referenced the Russian aggression against his country, and the sense of historical déjà vu. Quote, We will do everything to liberate our fellow countrymen from the camps and prisons of the modern Nazis, the Russian totalitarian regime. Only with the joint efforts of the entire civilized world can we defeat the aggressor and prevent the expansion of totalitarianism on the European continent, end quote. Okay, a few things need to be said about all this. For starters, we may assume that Kubiovich is viewed favorably by many in Ukraine, first and foremost because he fought the Russians, something particularly relevant at this moment, obviously, and for his scholarly work that he did in exile in France after the war where he assembled and edited the Encyclopedia of Ukraine Studies, and not primarily because he was a Nazi collaborator. In fact, one dares to hope, in spite of the fact that he was a Nazi collaborator, although the cult that has emerged around the Galician division is obviously not a good sign, now, it is important to recall that in 1932, that is just nine years before 1941, when the Nazis invaded, Ukraine had suffered a genocide at the hands of the Stalin regime, the Holodomor, or Death by Hunger, with the grain harvest confiscated by Stalin's commissars leading to the starvation of certainly millions, 
although the numbers are contested, which is important context for understanding why some Ukrainians at that time were so desperate to be free of Moscow that they were willing to take the Nazi bait. Not, let me emphasize, that I am forgiving anything. Contrary to the French saying, no, to understand all is not to forgive all, but understanding historical context is still important. Okay, I'm still trying to parse this history, about which there has been a lot of contestation. It does appear that before the war, Kubijovic had been a follower of the OUN, the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, the organization of the notorious Stepan Bandera, although sources contradict each other on whether he was a follower of the OUNB, that is the Bandera faction of the OUN, or of the OUNM, led by Bandera's rival, Andriy Melnik. It is also worth noting that the OUNB opposed the creation of the Galizian division, because, as we've noted before, Bandera wanted to set up a kind of quasi-independent Vichy state in Ukraine, and the Nazis didn't go for this, and when he refused to relent on his declaration of Ukrainian independence in June 1941, the Nazis had him arrested and eventually deported to Germany to be interned in a concentration camp for the rest of the war. So the situation was a lot more complicated than the current anti-Ukrainian propaganda would portray. Now let's turn to an important question for understanding the contemporary political reality. Who has the moral authority to oppose glorification of Kubiovich? I'll start out by saying that Israel, which is an apartheid state and is now seemingly on the edge of becoming a right-wing dictatorship as well as an apartheid state, is poorly positioned morally to protest Ukrainian glorification of Nazis. And you know who else has zero moral authority to oppose glorification of Kubiovich? Pro-Russian propagandists who would exploit this controversy to try to paint Ukraine as a Nazi state, while, of course, saying nothing about the reek of fascism on the Russian side, but, on the contrary, are openly cooperating in Putin's ultra-cynical propaganda that launders his war of aggression in anti-Nazi World War II nostalgist rhetoric. Already, Russian or pro-Russian propaganda partisans or bots are all over Twitter, tweeting about the Kubiovich controversy with commentary such as, quote, Ukraine is a Nazi state, end quote. And of course, all these tweets tout the stories from early in the week about the plan to rename the street after Kubiovich, but not those from one day later about how the plan was dropped. Now, surprisingly, the openly pro-Kremlin pseudo-left website Grey Zone has not yet run anything on this. 
whether because they haven't noticed it, which is unlikely, or because they are still preparing their propaganda exploitation of the affair. And in fact, one of the reasons I'm doing this rant tonight is to beat them to the punch. And I'll point out that the way such propagandists treat Ukrainian as simply synonymous with Nazi is ironically a form of national chauvinism and strongly redolent of Nazism, which of course tarred entire nations and peoples as having inherent inferiority or as posing an inherent threat to Germany. And such propagandists will never acknowledge the plenty of actual undisguised anti-Semitism on the Russian side. Alexander Zakarchenko, then leader of the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic in the Donbass region, told AFP News Service in February 2015 that Kyiv is run by miserable Jews, quote, un Quote, we've noted before the video footage that emerged of Denis Pushalin, the current head of the Donetsk People's Republic, giving an award to one of his thugs who was wearing Nazi insignia on his sleeve, including a Totenkopf, the death's head symbol of the SS. That was all over Twitter just about a year ago, last April. And then, of course, there is Alexander Dugin. Putin's ideological guru, who in an August 2014 post on VK, the Russian social media site, called for genocide of the Ukrainian race of degenerates, quote, unquote, precisely the kind of rhetoric that Hitler used against Jews and, ironically, against the Slavs. And rhetoric aside, it is Russia that is actually behaving like a Nazi state today. The International Criminal Court, ICC, under its warrant issued last month, is seeking the arrest of Russian President Vladimir Putin in connection with the forced deportation of Ukrainian children. The ICC pre-trial chamber also issued a warrant for the arrest of Maria Lvova-Belova, the Russian Commissioner for Children's Rights. Yes, really. Both stand accused of the war crimes of unlawful deportation and transfer of children from occupied territories of Ukraine into Russia. This is discussed on a uh, Washington Post op-ed of April 6th by one Anna Husarska entitled, Ukraine's Children Are Being Deported in the Full View of the World. I quote the opening paragraph. The UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide is crystal clear. Forcibly transferring children of a group to another group when committed with intent to destroy a nation in whole or in part constitutes genocide. Russian President Vladimir Putin has a law degree, so he ought to be aware of the statute, and his intent should, by this point, not be in doubt, end quote. Now, this obviously recalls the Nazis deporting children deemed to be Aryan from Poland and other occupied Slavic countries 
to Germany to be raised as good Germans. Not to mention the serial massacres of the civilian populace carried out by Russian forces at Buka, Borodyanka, Hostomel, Izium, Chernihiv, the mass deportation of whole populations to so-called filtration camps. So I ask you, all of you who portray Ukraine as a Nazi state on the basis of unseemly nostalgia for Nazi collaborators who fought the Soviets in World War II, which is worse, Nazi symbols and uniforms or Nazi behavior? Ultimately, the symbols and uniforms are only a threat inasmuch as they presage or normalize Nazi behavior. And it is Russia that is engaging in Nazi behavior at this moment. I say that the Z is the new swastika, and Putin's denazification is ironically the new Nazism, or almost the new Nazism. Way too close for comfort. And finally, who unequivocally has the moral authority to oppose glorification of Kubiovich? Well, Ukrainian Jews. And apparently the Ukrainian Jewish Committee was instrumental in raising protest to renaming Pierzawalski Street after Kubiovich and has been consistently outspoken against anti-Semitism in Ukraine. But they also cut no slack for anyone who would exploit Ukrainian anti-Semitism for Russian war propaganda. I'll recall the comment of the chief rabbi of Kiev, Rabbi Moshe Ruven Azman, after the invasion was launched last year. On March 13th of last year, he told Deutsche Welle News Agency, when asked about Putin's denazification propaganda, quote, against whom is this denazification directed? Against President Zelensky, who was Jewish, or against opposition leader Vadim Rabinovich, who was Jewish? Only somebody who has been brainwashed by television, which spreads all sorts of nonsense, by which he meant Russian state television, of course, could believe such rubbish. There is no Nazism in Ukraine. There aren't even any nationalist parties in parliament. No normal person believes this drivel. Moscow just needs a pretext to satisfy its imperial ambitions. End quote. And finally, you know who has the moral authority to oppose glorification of Kubiovich? Ukrainian anti-fascists, who have, in fact, for the past several years, been combating the Ukrainian far right, sometimes physically in the streets, and have been targeted by the Ukrainian security services for this, but are now supporting the Ukrainian war effort, perceiving this to also be necessary on anti-fascist principles and necessary for Ukraine's survival. I recently came across the website of the Solidarity Collectives, which are organizing support for anti-fascists and anarchists now fighting in the Ukrainian armed forces under the slogan, Support Anti-Authoritarian Fighters in Ukraine 
from their website, quote, from the onset of the war, our primary task has been to provide the anti-authoritarian activists who joined military units with everything they needed. Thanks to donations, we've purchased and handed over 100 bulletproof vests, dozens of helmets, night vision devices, thermal imagers, range finders, drones, tactical medicine, military uniforms, shoes, clothes, and much more, both special and everyday equipment. Today, Solidarity Collectives regularly supports up to 150 fighters, many of whom are on the front lines, end quote. And they are also raising funds for humanitarian aid in besieged civilian areas. Check them out online, solidaritycollectives.org. And there was, on December 12th of last year, an interview with a member of the Solidarity Collectives on the British website Novara Media. Meet the activists arming leftists on Ukraine's front lines. I quote from the introduction, When Vladimir Putin began his full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February, many Ukrainian leftists took up arms in defense of their country. However, proper equipment was in short supply to plug the gaps. A group of activists with backgrounds in anti-fascist and anarchist movements, student unions, and left publishing launched Operation Solidarity. Their aim was to gather gear from abroad to help equip their comrades on the front lines. The project is now consolidated under the name Solidarity Collectives. Earlier this winter in Kiev, reporter Volodya Wagner met with Sergei Movchan, one of the people running the project, to hear his reflections on their work and to get his perspective on what might happen from here. End quote. And here I quote from Sergei Movchan's words in the interview that follows. He makes a very critical point here. Quote, One thing I always need to explain to comrades abroad is the relevance of the far right in the context of the war. Is it growing stronger because of the war? Probably, yes. But compared to 2014, when many saw these groups as the heroes of the war, they no longer have a monopoly on this title. Back then, it was all about their units, right sector, Donbas, Aydar, Azov. Now, it's all about the armed forces of Ukraine. Its reputation is really high. Once the war is over, there will be huge competition between fighters from different political backgrounds and groups in the fight for influence and for different versions of Ukraine. I think the next parliament will be full of people dressed in camouflage. That's why it's important to show that leftists are also defending Ukraine, fighting against the invasion, and making possible a common future for all of us. Without that, we have no chance. That's why it's important for us to create bridges, which will be useful in the future. We don't introduce ourselves by saying, hello, we are anarchists and Marxists. We want to overthrow the state one day, but today we are protecting it. But equally, everyone can see our social media, where we explain our perspectives. We aren't hiding our ideas. Much depends on developments on the battlefield and no one knows how the war will end. As I see it, if Ukraine wins, it will be 
Volodymyr Zelensky's victory, he will be the hero and his party will have a majority. But if we lose and lose significant territories, it will prompt a revanchism led by the far right. That's why I say to those who are afraid that if Ukraine wins, the far right will gain popularity. Actually, the opposite is true. If we don't want to see a huge far-right movement on Ukrainian streets, arguing that we were betrayed by Zelensky, we should support Ukraine. With Zelensky relying on the West, he needs to, at the very least, uphold a veneer of democracy and human rights. If Zelensky is victorious and becomes the hero of the war, I think the democratic process stands a chance in Ukraine. Otherwise, the situation will get much worse, end quote. And in that spirit, I would just like to close with a suggestion to Mayor Vitaly Klitschko and the Kiev City Council. How about renaming Perzavalsky Street after Nestor Machno? Hey, just an idea. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. We've almost reached our goal of $100 per podcast. If one more person signed up, that could put us over the top. Let that be you. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance and rant on you next time.